Sorry, short people problems. Okay, so we've been doing First Corinthians. Um, so whenever I was in college, I had the opportunity to go on a study abroad to London um, and to Argentina. And when I was there, I had, I don't know, I just kind of realized how consumeristic we are. And so our talk today is called Consumer Driven Faith. And I know what you're thinking because you're probably thinking, okay, London is like one of the largest, most advanced cities in the world, right? Um, why am I, I don't know, why am I thinking this? So for me, when I was there, I was a student, so I was living in this tiny dorm, right? And so I didn't necessarily experience or get to be a, as much of a part of the wealth and entertainment. I saw it a little bit. But I lived in a tiny little dorm that was like half the size of my dorm at UT. It was basically like the size of a prison cell um, or like a cruise ship. If you've ever been on a cruise ship, you know, you walk and you have like your aisle and then there's a bed and there's a bed and then there's like a bathroom. So that was where I lived for a whole summer um, in London. And uh, we had like a tiny window at the back that I probably couldn't even fit through. And that was also our AC um, and I had to have one suitcase for the whole, the whole summer, which you guys, I know that's not a big deal, but I had to work as an internship, and so I had to have, like, all the professional clothes. So anyway, so I had to learn how to wear the same things over and over again. Um, I also had to pay for my own food, which, you know, as a college student, that's, you'll find that's something that's just, you know, you learn how to have to manage your money, which I had like a little bit of money from babysitting, so not very much. I actually remember um, I had wasted a lot of money eating out, and so I was like, okay, I really, I really should probably cook. And I've never cooked before in college. I didn't cook until I got married, like after college. And so my very first time to cook, I actually remember I got some broccoli, and I got the whole head, the whole head of broccoli. Like I didn't cut it because... Is that what you're supposed to do with broccoli? So I grabbed the whole head of broccoli and I put it in a bowl and I sprinkled some water on it and I put it in the microwave and it did not taste good. So don't do that. That does not, that's not how you cook broccoli. And then it smelled like gas or something like, you know, it's just that nasty broccoli smell. So anyways, so my time there living there is I learned how to live on a lot less. Even though I was surrounded by it, I personally had to live on a lot less. And I actually loved it. It was almost freeing not being surrounded by all of the choices and the excess. And so when I got back to Texas and I came back to UT, I just realized how materialistic we all are, including myself. Because everybody there wanted all the new things and the new clothing. And the, the new iPhone was coming out, the very first iPhone ever, if that tells you my age, was coming out that year. And everybody wanted to have one. And I just kind of realized, like, how meaningless it is. And so why are we always striving after this stuff? And so it opened my eyes to just how consumeristic we are. And so something that we're seeing in 1 Corinthians that Paul touches on is their fixation with the world instead of Christ. They were being too consumeristic and prideful. So the big idea that we saw in chapter 3 that carries over to 4 is he talks about we should not boast in man but in God. Remember how there was this divisiveness in the Corinthian church where the people were boasting and, and being arrogant about who they followed. They're like, oh, I follow Paul. Well, 
I follow Apollos, or I was baptized by this guy, or Apollos is a better speaker, so he must be spiritually better than Paul. And so Paul spends time in chapter 3 refuting this, and he even says, he's like, who is, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? They may have planted the seeds, but it's God that gave the growth. And it's God who has the ultimate wisdom, so much so that any wisdom on, in the world looks like folly to God. So why would we boast in man? And so he carries this idea forward in chapter 1, and he starts with the very first verse saying, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul is saying that him and the other apostles, the other leaders, they are simply stewards and servants of Christ. So they've been trusted with this gospel message, and they've been charged to go out and share the gospel. Nothing fancy. That is their job. That's their task. And so the word servant literally means under rower, someone who is simply responding to a higher authority and doing his job. And that authority is Christ. And then he keeps going in verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am there, not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pr- pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart then each one will receive his commendation from God. So the people could swing two ways. They could either judge him and his teachings, or they would be all like hashtag team Paul and like putting him up on a pedestal and they're like, I follow this guy, right? And so there, there was, it was bringing this disunity. And Paul is saying, don't, we don't need to do that. You don't need to choose sides. Why would you brag on a leader or judge a leader? Because do we not all follow the same Lord? And is it not the Lord that judges us all in the end? So Paul simply sees himself as responsible, as a steward to carry on the gospel message. But he's not responsible to the people. He's responsible to the Lord who will ultimately judge him. So he says he's just going to carry on. So I feel like it can be easy for us to slip into this without realizing. There's almost this um, celebrity culture that we buy into, right? You know, we like are quick to follow after something, And God created us to follow him, so it seems like we're naturally inclined to follow and latch onto something or someone. We're like sheep. We're looking for that shepherd, for that direction, for that leader. But he's saying we don't pledge our allegiance to man, but to God. And so often we get taken in by the glamour or the the fame or the power of someone, you know, whether it's like an Instagram influencer or your coach or, you know, Taylor Swift or, you know, whatever, a church leader. And we we try and find someone and put them up there. But he's saying, we don't follow them. We follow God. And that is who we follow. And we can see the celebrity culture even in church too, right? We like pick a place based off of who is teaching that week or which friends are going to that service or how great the worship experience is. But you know what's crazy? And Paul even calls this out. He says, it's ridiculous to boast over someone when everything you have is from the Lord. So in verse 7, he says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So any wisdom we have, any talents, any gifts, our family, material things, like that is from the Lord. That's God's grace. Grace is being given something that we don't deserve. So the people in Corinth thought they were super wise and they were putting all this importance on wealth and status 
but they had forgotten that everything they had, the opportunity to hear the gospel, any blessings that their church was getting, that was all from the grace of God. So the question that Paul is asking is meant to humble. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? Really, what have you accomplished on your own? So Paul emphasizes this in verse 6, and he says that he wants them to learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another, so that they won't be puffed up, as in prideful and arrogant. So the church in Corinth was puffed up. So they were boasting in this worldly wisdom that they had. They had added on to Christianity. They had gone beyond God's word, and they were thinking that they were wise in this mature church, and they had it going on, and Really, they were focusing on themselves and not Jesus. And the thing is, is that they were going beyond the beauty and simplicity of the gospel. So that's why Paul even gets a little sarcastic in the next part in verse 8. And he says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. So he's like... (laughs) sarcasm in the Bible, guys. He's like, you already have everything you want, right? You're like basically kings. You must, you must have it figured out. But he's saying you have this worldly success in your church, and you think you have arrived. And Paul's saying, as apostles, our life looks a lot different than yours. Ours has not been so glamorous. In fact, all the apostles knew, like every day, that there was potential they could die for their ministry. That's, they were on the verge of death daily. So he said, you know, where is the disconnect? What is, what is right? So the Corinthian church thought they had it figured out. They had this popularity with what they were doing, but they were missing it. Because getting fame and popularity is not the point. The Lord's criteria is not success. It's faithfulness in him. And so God has called us to a countercultural way of living. You know, when we follow Christ, it looks different than the rest of the world. So often, Christ's way is not necessarily the popular way to the world. And though we are rich in Christ, though we are heirs to the kingdom of God, it may not always look rich to the world, right? It's different. So if you're choosing Christ, then you're choosing to be countercultural. And Jesus led this life that was really went against the social norm. But we are a consumeristic culture, aren't we? We want the stuff. We want the popularity. We want things to go a certain way. I'm going to get that app that's going to help me pass the line. I'm going to download that video instantly. And if it doesn't work, then why is it not working? Fix it now, right? When iPhone number 999 comes out, we're signing up for it. We want what we want when we want it. And we treat Jesus the same way. We think that Jesus has to fit into our life and our demands. And then if he doesn't, then I'm not sure that relationship's going to work. Like, it's, it's not you, it's me, you know, but it's really you. And so we think he has to fit into our life. And we want to pick and choose parts of Jesus so long as he doesn't mess up whatever we have going on over here, right? But God doesn't want us to pick and choose parts of him to follow, And I know there's a lot of tough things about God's word that's really hard to reconcile, how he can, how his design and his justice also coincides with his goodness and his mercy. I'm with you on that. That's that's tough. 
But he does ask us to trust in him in those things, even when we don't understand. How many of you like trail mix? Do any of you like trail mix? I've always hated it growing up, except that H-E-B came out with a new trail mix called Texas Heat, and it is good. Has anyone had it? You have to like corn nuts, which I feel like is a weird thing to like, but I really like corn nuts. Um, so I've never liked trail mix until that bag right there. There's, there's your advertising for H-E-B. So anyways, that had no point to this. Um, when you're eating trail mix, do you not pick out your favorite things first, right? Like you go for the M&Ms or the corn nuts maybe. And then at the end of the bag, all that's left are those peanuts that no one wants. And you're really ready. Or the raisins. Yes, the raisins. Guys. So then at the end of the bag, you're basically ready to throw it away, right? Because you're like, I'm not going to eat that. The healthy part of the trail mix. Okay, guys, we can't do this with Christianity. We try, but we can't do this. You can't pick out your favorite parts and then sweep the rest under the rug. And you're like, oh, Jesus didn't mean that, but he did mean this, so I'm going to do this, right? It's not like Netflix, you know, when you're scrolling through and you have thousands of options and then you're, you're going to pick the one video that fits your mood for that night, and that's what you'll watch. Jesus doesn't change based off of your mood or how you feel like he should be in that moment, right? He has been the same from the beginning to the end, and he's been very clear of who he is ever since the beginning of time. So he is asking that we take in all of him. And so we're seeing this divisiveness in our church today, too, where churches are going beyond what is written, and they're trying to cater to the masses or change theology so that they can please people and what people are feeling and people wanting. But here's the thing is Jesus never came to be this appealing pop star, you know, to cater to the feels. His words actually caused a lot of upset often because he convicted people. He got down to the truth of what it means to really follow a loving and just God. So Jesus is all or nothing. You know, he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. He's not a way. He's the way. And he doesn't want parts of you just like we shouldn't take just parts of him. You know that the Bible tells us about 12 times in the Bible, it says about almost the same verse, and I put four of them on here. So here it is, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Matthew 22. And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Joshua 22. Only be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him in, with all your heart and all your soul. It repeats that so many times. If there's something that's repeating, it probably means we need to pay attention to it, right? So it says, love God with how much of your heart? All. Oh, so not some. Not like kind of, mostly. Not like a quarter moon latte, like at summer moon. Or like, I get like the whisper moon that's like an eighth because it's extremely sweet. No, it says all. So that probably means all, like everything, right? And if God loves us, all of us, so much so that he sent his son to die for us, 
to die for all of our nasty junk before we even knew we needed a Savior, then I think that we should love all of him in return. The whole thing from from the touchy-feely, like, I love you, I'm going to take care of you, I'll be with you, all the way to I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Or you are to be a people set apart. Or um, sell all you have and follow me. I mean, we're, we're to take in all of that, both sides. So let me ask you this. If God never gave you what you wanted, would you still have faith in him? Or if he took away your family, your friends, your success in sports, your school, would you still follow him and trust him? You know, at the core of the cross, of the gospel message, there is a Savior who was beaten and homeless and shamed for us. Not for a glamorous life, but for us to have life in him. So we need to take a step back and analyze our life. Are we putting more value on status or popularity or fitting into social norms? Are we going beyond what is written? Because that's not the point of the cross. The Christian life is not meant to be easy, and sometimes we will suffer for our faith. But suffering can also strengthen your faith and bring you closer to God. It can be a way of testing. It can be a way of making you stronger. So Paul tries to give some encouragement after this. He almost treats them like kids. In, in verse 14, it says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Hold up. He just said, don't boast in man, don't be puffed up. And then now he's like, but you imitate me. So what are we, what's he doing? So he's encouraging them to imitate him like a child imitates his father. So as y'all know, I have two kids, Riley and Luke. And so my husband, Ben, and I, every night when we put them to bed, we take turns and we lay down with the kids and we chat with them for a little bit um, before bed. And so I'll lay with Riley and then he lays with Luke and then we switch the next night. And so something, sometimes what we do is we'll say, okay, list three things that you loved about your day or three things you're looking forward to tomorrow. And Luke, every time, um, especially he does it to Ben, he'll be like, you go first. And, um, and so then Ben lists his things, and he's like, mine are the same. And we're like, oh, really? You liked drinking coffee today, did you? Um, so, but he just like, he, you know, especially with kids, with their parents, they just look up to you, and kids find someone to look up to, and then they want to imitate them, and they want to model after them. It's just naturally what they do. So as a spiritual father, Paul is saying, look at how my life looks as I follow Christ. Not as the ultimate, not as your leader, not as your savior, but just as a follower of Christ. Look at how that is modeled. Because he wants to bring them back to the root of the gospel. Remember how he was saying they were missing it? He's saying, you're focusing on the wrong things. You're adding on to the gospel. My life looks a lot different than your life. So look at how my focus is on Jesus regardless of how I look to the world. So even though we're no longer kids, we still kind of do this, right? Like you, you kind of, you have people that you look up to and you kind of model what you observe, right? I still remember my mentor in college was actually 
very helpful. Like there were so many times when I was learning and growing in my faith, I could go and ask her and say, what, like, what is your opinion on this? How would you handle this situation? And not as like a, she's my ultimate, but as, wow, I admire her faith in Christ and how her life is pointed to Jesus. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emulate that. I'm going to see how you would handle situations. And our hope is that as you grow in your faith, you too would become a role model to other believers. So you should ask yourself, is your life pointing to the cross? Is it worth imitating? So it's a, it is a challenge to follow Jesus, but it's a good challenge. So it's been a while since I've talked about my running, if any of you remember, because I talk about it a lot. But it's been a while, so I'm going to talk about it this time. Um, so as you know, I'm a horrible runner, and I'm, like, really, really not good at it. I also just really don't like it. However, two years ago, I signed up for a 5K because it was for a good cause, and so I kind of felt like I had to. So I had to learn how to run, right? Like, I literally couldn't run around the block without almost dying. Um, and so I did the 5K, survived it. So then, of course, I was like, I can do a 5K, so I'm going to do the Spartan 10K, right, with obstacles, don't know why. I just don't fully think through things. So anyways, I signed up for it. I didn't prepare for the obstacles like I should have, um, but I barely scraped by. I mean, like barely. So now, of course, what do you think I've done? The Spartan race has three levels, 5K, 10K, and then the Beast, which is a 21K. So it's a half marathon with 30 obstacles. So of course, I was like, I'm on it. I'm signed up for it. So I've paid, so I can't back out. So now I'm training for this thing, and I have never run more than ever in my life. On Friday, I ran 10 miles. It took me over two hours, guys. Which, for you athletic people, you're probably like, I could run that in, like, 30 minutes. But, you know, no. Every Friday, my body basically, like, shuts down after the run because it's like, what are you doing? So then I really just sit on the couch and just eat pizza pretty much the rest of the day. Um, But anyways... So this training, my goal in doing this, because I realize I've signed up for this, and I don't always, like, think things through, but I decided I'm going to sign up for this because I don't think I'm going to be good at it. I'm not trying to be the best. I hope, I'm just hoping to survive. But what I want to do is I want to achieve something that I've never done before that has always felt impossible. And so this time I've decided I'm going to put every effort into it. I'm actually going to train I'm actually running this time. I'm actually training for the obstacles. And I'm not going to go half in like I have before. I'm also not going to complain this time. I'm working on that one. Um, But what I've realized about myself is that I like signing up for challenges for something that has always seemed impossible. Like running has always been impossible for me because I'm a dancer. I don't run. And so that has just always been this unachievable thing. And so I decided I'm going to do something and I'm going to overcome something hard because the reward and the accomplishment I know is going to be worth it. And I'm going to be really proud of myself. It's almost like I have this mentality of, you know, when people are saying like, oh, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, watch me, you know, or like a toddler when you're like, no, no, you can't touch that. And they're like, what? And uh, so... That's, that's kind of how my personality is, and that's how I have felt with this. I feel like, oh, you can't do it, and then I'm like, okay, watch me. I am going to figure out how to do it. Can any of you relate to that feeling? Have you ever had that? Yes. So if you can, 
Think about it. If we like to overcome challenges and do the impossible, then why is it that when it comes to our society and the trending things that our culture pushes on us or tells us to add on to, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to hop on that bandwagon, and sure, I'll, I'll do that too. Like, we get blinded by what is the cool thing to do. But isn't it more of a challenge for us to say, you know what, I'm going to step back here and I'm going to stick to what I know is God's truth and what is right, even if that's not, like, the cool thing to do. It is more of a challenge to be different for the sake of the gospel, to not go beyond the gospel, and to make a choice to put everything I have into following Christ alone. That, to me, is an exciting challenge. So this is what Christ is asking of us. He has given us this challenge. And sometimes following him may look foolish to the world, or it may make our lives a little less comfortable, a little less popular. But man, is it worth it? Because Christ is worth it. So this challenge is set before you. And I hope you like a challenge. Because here you go. So are we going to be all in? Even if it doesn't bring us the fame? Or are we going to boast in ourselves and our abilities? Or are we going to boast in the Lord who has already given you everything that you have? I'm going to pray and we'll break out. God, I thank you. Thank you for being a good God who does give us so many blessings, Lord, that you have given us so much, and I pray that we can recognize all that you have given us. God, and I pray that we can look to Jesus as the example and see how his life lived and let that be our model, that it's not always pretty, Lord, but it is worth it, and it is worth it to have this relationship with you and have this joy to looking to a future with you, God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all are dismissed to your groups.